Let me just begin by saying good morning again to all of you and welcome to worship. Some of you right now are joining us by video. You're in our contemporary service in our fellowship hall or online or on TV. And I'm really glad that you're here. I'm glad that we have this opportunity all together to be instructed by God's word, to be formed together for life in the way of Jesus Christ. We're kind of in the middle of a long journey right now that's called Restored. It's something that started back around Christmas time. It's a journey of being restored to the fullness of life in relationship with God and in relationship with one another, to the, to the life that God made us for. And we started in the first part of this journey learning to know the good and beautiful God. Learning to know who is God when we meet God in Jesus Christ. And we're kind of in a second part of this journey right now where we're asking, who am I? Who are we? Who am I when I know who I am in Christ? And learning when we know who we are in Christ to be set free to live a good and beautiful life. To be set free for transformation and the attitudes and actions of our lives that shape our, our patterns and our behaviors. And today in particular, we're learning to be set free from, learning to live without pride. Learning to live without the dangers of pride. And pride's a tricky thing, isn't it? I, I knew somebody a while ago, a long time ago, who told me that he was struggling with pride, with thinking too highly of himself with arrogance. And he said, I'm really working on that. And he came to me one day and he said, you know, I think I finally conquered it. I think I finally mastered it. I have finally mastered humility and now I'm perfect. <laughs> okay, that didn't really happen. But pride is a tricky thing, isn't it? It's like as soon as you think you've got it, you don't, right? I remember having an experience when I was a teenager that taught me a lot about how tricky this is. I remember where I was sitting when it happened. I was in the hallway at my high school. And I was sitting with one of my teammates on the basketball team. And I remember another one of our teammates went by, kind of passed through the hallway and began to go down the hallway toward the gym, where we probably all should have been going to practice in just a minute or something. And we're just going to call that guy's name Matt, right, just to protect everyone's identities. Matt was very talented, right? He was really good, three-sport athlete, just did a great job, very successful, very popular. And Matt was not someone that you thought struggled with confidence, if you know what I mean, right? People experienced him as knowing that he was every bit as good as he was. And my friend who was sitting next to me saw this guy go by, and when he went down the hallway, probably shouldn't have said this, but he leaned over to me and said, you know, sooner or later, we're going to have to make the doorways at our school wider, just so Matt and all of his egos can walk through at the same time. So that's just what he looked like on the outside. And then I remember, and I've forgotten the circumstances, but I remember that this something happened in Matt's life that knocked him down a peg or three. It was, I remember somehow he had, maybe it was an athletic failure, a relationship breakdown, something that when you're a teenager means that your life is over, right? And I remember that he was devastated, and I saw so much pain and humiliation in him, and it just aroused compassion. You're like, oh no, you know, someone was really hurting. And I remember how it dawned on me, and I guess it was a lesson for me at that point I hadn't ever seen before, that, that arrogance and fear and insecurity which seem like they would just be total opposites, right? Like they would just be so far apart from one another can really be just a hair's breadth apart. That, that maybe I began to wonder they even come from the same place. That maybe the same thing is happening inside and in some of us, in some seasons of life, it comes out one way and in some of us, in other times, it comes out another way. And, and I think that that is something that many of us, maybe all of us, struggle with from time to time at least. Some of us do sometimes just get too full of ourselves. We just get to be overbearing, overconfident, arrogant, just plain too full of ourselves. 
And others of us, or maybe the same people at different times, we really feel more fear and insecurity, and we enter into social situations and don't know if we're going to be able to handle it and don't trust the gifts that God has given us. We don't know if we'll be able to do that. And we suffer more with insecurity. And some of us may be swinging from one thing to the other from time to time when the same thing's happening underneath. And either way that it comes out, it's, it's a tough way to live. Either way that it comes out, it's a, it's a difficult thing for us to live with. And I think that the teaching of Jesus that we heard today, I think the passage that we're primarily learning from today really has something to help us. I think it offers us the insight and the power to set us free from this. The insight and the power to change our lives for the better into the kind of life that Jesus came to invite us into. And let's begin by reviewing the passage, the beginning of it, and I want to explain what I mean by that. Let's take a look here together. This is found in in Matthew chapter 6. We're going to read just the opening verses of this section. Jesus said to people, he said, be careful not to practice your righteousness, your religiosity, your faith, in front of others to be seen by them. That's kind of the key phrase here. You're going to hear that again. If you do, you'll have no reward from your Father in heaven. And then Jesus gives some examples. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets. Anybody ever do that or face that temptation? (laughs) As the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be honored by others. There's that idea again. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And then a second example. When you pray... Do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. There it is again a third time, right? Let me explain something about this passage for a minute. First of all, Jesus in his original context very probably had kind of religious leaders, official synagogue faith religious leaders in mind in this criticism, in this teaching, in this warning. Maybe people like me who stand up here in robes, who stand in front of crowds of people and lead in our faith leaders. And he warns, but I think the same principle applies to any of us, warns us not to try to practice our religion in such a way that we're doing it for ourselves, to draw attention to ourselves, to make ourselves look good. Now, I've been your pastor here at this church for a little over 12 years now. And as I was thinking back over that period of time, I thought to myself, I don't know if I've ever seen anybody in our whole church actually act like that. I mean, maybe, from, maybe there's been an exception or two, but basically never have I seen any of you who make generous gifts above and beyond the regular tithes that you, may, that you give to support the work and mission of the church family. You give extra gifts to build houses in Haiti, right? To provide clean water there in Susmatla with our partners in Haiti. Who have given generous gifts to build new facilities to try to support job training and, ho- and house searches that the Ramsey County Family Service Center we partner with. I've never had one of you say to me, and could I get my name in big letters on that? You know, like, I want attention for that. I've just never heard that from you. And when it comes to, like, praying or demonstrating our faith and our religious activity, I'd, could I stand up in front of a big crowd, pastor, and I'd really like to pray? I'd like people to pay attention to my fluent words and my excellent prayers. Anybody tempted right now by that? Probably not, Right? And I'm, I'm really grateful for that. I mean, I, I, I celebrate that. I think that at least in some measure, that's the evidence of the spirit of Christ-likeness being formed in you, in this community, in this church family. And I'm really glad for that. And it might be that some of us would then consider that situation and go, 
Well, I don't think that passage has anything to say to me. This might be the first time that Jesus had a teaching that didn't challenge me. Chalk one up, you know, like in the wind column over here for me, right? Of course, then we've got the pride thing going on, I guess, if we did that, right? But also, we might think to ourselves, but maybe this passage doesn't have anything to say to me at all. It doesn't have any help or hope to offer me in the struggle we were just talking about, how we fight with maybe two different opposite or the same sides of pride. But I don't think that's true. I don't think that it has nothing to say to us. And let me explain that. I wanna tell you another story. This is a, a very different kind of story. This is a story about my grandmother, who I called my Oma, my German grandmother. She was a very important woman in my life, very important person in my life. I spent a lot of time with her growing up. She really had a pretty interesting and amazing life. She faced a lot of challenges in life. When my Oma was a 14-year-old girl, she lost her father in the middle of the night. He was a publisher, a journalist, who in Nazi Germany dared to speak the truth and dared to speak opposition about the Nazi regime. And for his truth-telling, he was taken away in the middle of the night and killed. She lost her father when she was 14 years old. He's one of my heroes. Part of my name comes from him. She immigrated to the United States as a young mother shortly after World War II, continued to face a lot of challenges, left behind a lot of her support system, and continued to climb uphill on that probably for all the decades of her life. She was somebody in facing these challenges. If you had known my Oma, probably nobody who knew her ever said that she was an arrogant or conceited kind of person. She didn't struggle with pride in that way. Quite the contrary, people might have said that she was more, maybe more would have described her as timid or fearful. And in fact, one of the experiences that I remember is how we would stop by her house very regularly. We would stop by and pick her up and drive her to something. She never had a driver's license. And we'd bring her over to our house for family events or we'd go to church together, go to other family gatherings, all kinds of things. And I re remember how she would always be a little bit nervous about coming from the front door of the house to walk roughly 10 yards out to where the car was parked really pretty close in front of the front garage door there. And I remember that she would verbalize her fears and she would say, she didn't, she didn't walk very well, she was okay, but she needed some assistance and it was difficult getting in and out of the car sometimes. And I remember she would say, well, what, were the neighbors, what will the neighbors think? The neighbors are watching me when I come in and out, you know, don't get in and out of the car very well. And I don't remember how old I was, but somewhere in my adolescence or teen years, it dawned on me to think, why do you think the neighbors are watching you at all? But how important do you think you are to the neighbors that they're spending all this time and energy wondering how well you get in and out of your car, right? I think she struggled with sort of the backside, with the other side of thinking a lot about oneself. Jesus, in the passage that we learned from today, he had things to say. He warned us against the things that we do when we're concerned about how we're being seen by others. And I think this is really very similar in that passage, we were imagining people who were concerned about how they were seen by others, and they were pretty optimistic about how that was going to turn out. People will notice me, and they will think that I am fantastic, right? A lot of us just struggle with the opposite side of that. People will notice me, and they will not think so well of me. And I think we struggle with both sides of that same problem. Let me show you one more example of this. This is actually a little video clip I want to share with you. Do any of you remember the sitcom Friends that was on? It's like actually like old TV now, which makes some of us feel old, but like 15 years ago, more or less, depending on which season you're talking about, there were a lot of famous characters in that sitcom. Two of them are named Rachel and Phoebe, and they're in this clip. Uh, they were going for a run together in Central Park in New York City. I think they were in Central Park. And Rachel was just all ready. She dressed for the part. She looked the part, going for a nice athletic run through Central Park. The more sort of... Uh, quirky friend, Phoebe, a more eccentric one. She starts running, and she starts running like a four-year-old chasing the swings, Roar! right? Arms and legs flying every direction, screaming as she went. 
and Rachel got really embarrassed to run with Phoebe. And so after that day, she faked an injury never to have to run with Phoebe again, right? But in the clip you're about to see, she gets busted. Phoebe finds her running in Central Park, and I want you to see that and the conversation that ensues. So take a look at this clip right now. It's me. I saw you grab your running shoes this morning and sneak out. You lied so you could run by yourself. No, no, Phoebe, no, I was, no, you know what? I was, I was actually just checking to see if I could run, and I can. Please, Rachel, I am not an idiot. No, wait, Phoebe. <laughs> I wanted to say that I'm sorry, okay? I handled the situation horribly, and, and I should not have lied to you. So what should you have done? Well, I, I should have told you the truth. Uh-huh, which is? <laughs> well, you know, the reason that I didn't want to go running with you is because, um, well, you know, the way that you run is just a little... <laughs> so? Well, it's embarrassing. People were looking at us like we were crazy. Why do you care? Because they're people. <laughs> people that you don't know and will never see again. Yes, but still, they are people with eyes. It's not that, not that hard to relate to Rachel in that case, right? We often get concerned about what other people with eyes think about us. There are a lot of places that we look for value. I think there are empty promises that we learn to believe in our world about where we will receive our value. I think at least three of them are these. There probably are many more. We believe that we find value in our appearance. Right? If, if we are young and beautiful and strong and healthy, then we have one level of value in the eyes of this world, and we begin to believe this. If we look right, if we dress right, if we run right, then we feel an increase or a, a stability in our value. But as soon as that doesn't happen, as soon as we look in the mirror and we see, boy, that doesn't look like what I'm supposed to look like. That's not what I see online. That's not what I see on TV. That's not what I see in the magazines. And they receive lots of value. And my value goes down a little bit. And we can begin to devalue ourselves or to think that we have less value in the eyes or the estimations of others. And that's a dangerous trap. It begins to threaten our security. It threatens our value. We begin to feel worse about ourselves. Our world tells us that we have one kind of value if we look a certain way, and a little bit less value if we don't look that way. Sometimes we look to our appearance to contribute to our value. Or we will look to our performance to establish our value. How successful are we? Are, are we getting that next promotion? Are we moving into more powerful, more lucrative careers? Are we doing things in our family life that are just humming, things are going great? We've got plenty of things to put on Facebook to make our lives look perfect that will make other people feel badly for not having fake lives that are as good as our fake lives. We have things we can put on Pinterest that show how creative and awesome we are. We've got all kinds of great things that we can fill up our family Christmas letter list because we are doing great, right? But what if we're not doing great? What if not everything is just humming along in our lives? Well then, we maybe feel like things aren't going so well for us on the inside either. And it begins to threaten our value, begins to threaten our security. 
We start to play the performance game. We're not doing as well as they are. We're not getting the promotion they are. Our family isn't as perfect. Our pictures aren't as great as somebody else. And we begin to feel like our value is threatened. And that's like a double trap. Because when stuff goes wrong in our lives is exactly when we need to be able to be honest with that about other people. But we're afraid to. Because if we fail and we tell somebody else that, we're afraid. We have fear that our value will go down. They might think less of us, right? Because when this happens, there starts to be a line inside our heads and our hearts that connect, I failed at that, to I'm a failure. I did bad at that, I'm a bad person. And so at those moments when we need someone to step into our lives, support us, pray for us, love us anyway, we're afraid to let people in. We can't take criticism. When someone wants to help us, we hear that criticism and we think, now I'm being criticized and I'm a failure. It's a trap, but it creates insecurity and, and imprisons us. We look for value in our appearance. We look for value in our performance. And oftentimes we're told that we have value based on our wealth. In our culture, it's pretty easy to, to make a mistaken link between our worth and our net worth. Between how much we're accumulating and how successful we are financially and how well life is going and how much value we ourselves have. And these are traps. If I could summarize these things, maybe, maybe we could try to remember it this way. If I look good, if I do good, if I have goods, then I'm good. All right? But that's a lie. That's a lie. It's a dangerous lie. But I think most of us believe at least part of it. But there's a better way. There's a better way to know who we are. There's a better way to know what our value is. There's a better way to know who we are and to hear it from God himself. We've been learning in this series to answer the question, who am I? To know that Jesus came to this world to change the operating system, to change our relationships, to change our identity, to change how we value and practice value with other people. To come and say to this world that God is doing this, that the kingdom of God is at hand. It's dawning among us and we can see the rays of dawn breaking over the horizon. The kingdom of God is at hand. So repent, which is just the religious word for turn around. Turn around from that stuff and walk a new way. Walk this way. Believe that God is coming and that God in his grace has invited you to come and receive this life. To know that God in his grace is ready to say, you are children in the family of God. You are brothers and sisters, all welcome at equal places at the table in the family of God. All welcome by baptism to receive grace and to receive new life, new identity. Throughout this series, this journey, the second part of our restored journey called The Good and Beautiful Life, in answer to the question, who am I, we've been learning to say, I am a child of God in whom Christ dwells, and I live in the unshakable kingdom of God. For way too many of us, our value is shakable. It shakes with our appearance, it shakes with our performance, it shakes with our wealth, and maybe a bunch of other stuff that you know about. But we learn that our value is made secure by God in Jesus Christ, that he tells us who we are, even when we doubt it. That who you are, that your value does not come from what you look like or what you've done or any decision that you made, good or bad, but it comes from something that God has done in Christ. It comes from a decision that God has made to call you his child for Jesus' sake. And when that truth sinks in, important things begin to change in our lives on the inside and the out. The first thing that happens is that God begins to grow in us a strong and secure Christian humility. And humility was always way stronger than pride anyway. Pride gets too insecure, too full of fear. 
And, and people misunderstand humility. People think that humility means to think, oh, I'm not actually that good at that. I'm not actually so good after all. That's not what humility is like. Just Christian humility does not require you to think less of yourself. Christian humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's just thinking of yourself less. It's just not worrying so much about yourself in the first place. You don't have to think about yourself because God has thought of you for you, right? Because God has already said, I esteem you, I love you, I call you my child. You don't have to think about yourself. Christian humility has the strength of knowing that God has valued you. You have value not because you established it, but because God established it. And when you receive that security, when you know that you don't have to think about yourself or take care of your own value that God has created it, then a thing changes in your relationships. Then you no longer have to use your relationships or other people in your life to fill you up and give you value because you've already been filled up by the love of God. And now you become a source of value and you communicate value and dignity to other people. You start to confer on them. You see in them the unsurpassable worth that they have as human beings created in the image of God. And now you're not worried, did somebody notice me or what I did? You're just free, you're able to notice other people. You no longer need people to fill your tank up. You're like, you see other people and you just innately see an opportunity to fill their tank up because God has taken care of you. Let me give you an illustration here. Could you uh, take out this card that's in your worship bulletin right now? There's kind of a tall, narrow sheet of paper there. The top of it says, life in the kingdom. And all throughout this journey, we've been talking about the situations that every person enters. And, and we've been learning to live without anger and lust and lying and talking about pride today. And these things happen in our lives as a result of situations that we all face. When it comes to the situation of pride, we all need to know where our value comes from. And there's a way to ask What's the kingdom way, what's the kingdom of God way to respond to the need that we all have for value? And there's different ways that we could respond when we face that question. On the one hand, we might respond based out of fear. That's the third column right there. And if we're afraid for where our value comes from, then we're probably going to wind up with kind of a self-centered, attention-seeking kind of behavior or patterns We'll be needy. We'll be hungry for affirmation. We'll be sort of like a, like a, a sponge or a, a, maybe a bowl that has a hole in the bottom. And all the value you pour in just keeps pouring out the bottom. You just constantly need that. But when you've been healed in your heart by God and you know who you are in the family of God, you move into that last column where it, we call that the love response, where you know that you have been loved, that you are the beloved of God in his beloved community, in his family, and you are free to pour out love also to others. You're, you experience security, and you, and you begin to experience give rather than take. I don't need to take value from you. I can give it. I can embody the love of God for you. And then at some point, somebody asks you, why are you, where do you have peace? Where did that security come from in your life? And it doesn't have to be that you give it to them, but you can tell them where you got it so that they can be healed in their lives also. And when that happens in our lives, we become a different sort of community. God creates on this earth among us the good and beautiful life and even the good and beautiful community that he means to create. A people who know what it is to be beloved and practice love for others, who know what it is to be set free from fear and insecurity and live in his peace and security instead. And it doesn't happen that just one of us is pouring out value constantly to anybody else, but we're all transformed this way and the people that we confer dignity to confer it back to us and we pour out love for the world. And it becomes this beautiful countercultural 
alternative way of life, a witness to the world of what it's like to know the good and beautiful God in Jesus and to be set free for a good and beautiful kind of life. Because we aren't that people, we aren't the people who have to live in fear. The people we are together is the people who know what it is to be loved by God and to practice love for others. I just wanna close this time of reflection on God's word by praying, by praying together to be deeply rooted in this identity and this life. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we dare call you our heavenly father because you have called us your children, because you have welcomed all of us into your family by your grace. And God, I just pray for the healing work of your Holy Spirit inside each of us. You know where the wounds are and you know what we're insecure about and what we have value attached to that sometimes feels or often feels like it's at risk. And God, I pray that you would liberate us from those empty promises, that you would heal inside us what needs healing, that you would convince us of who we are in you and that you would fill us up with your love and fill us to overflowing, that we would be the people that you empower, that you fill up to go around seeing those who are themselves empty and confer on them the dignity of humanity, to see in them the people who are created in the image of God, to embody your love for them, and to be a witness, to be a light to your world and help the world see your good and beautiful love for all of us. Lord, we live and pray in Jesus' name. Amen.